This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. For more information, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Ten years ago, on September 11, 2001, New York City Fire Department Battalion Chief Joseph Pfeiffer saw the first aircraft hit the North Tower and radioed the alarm, the first FDNY fire chief to take command. Today, Pfeiffer is the New York City Fire Department's chief of counterterrorism and emergency preparedness. He's also a citywide command chief. Wharton management professor Michael Useem talked with Pfeiffer recently about his leadership during the 9-11 rescue efforts and what the New York City Fire Department and other cities are doing to prepare for the unexpected. This is Mike Hussein, and today we have Joseph Pfeiffer from the New York Fire Department. He is the Chief of Counterterrorism and Emergency Preparedness for the City of New York, and he's a citywide command chief for the City of New York, responsible for commanding major incidents uh, in the city. Uh, Joe, great to have you here. And I'm going to begin, Joe, by asking you about uh, basically your career with the, uh, the department. You joined in 1981. And during especially your early years, what have been some of the most informative experiences that helped you learn how to lead people into uh, sometimes in the harm's way? Many days are routine, but some days are not in the life of a firefighter. So your, your formative moments, if you would. Well, when I first came into the fire department as a probationary firefighter, I was told the most important thing is to know the job, know what you need to do. So I started reading, and reading a lot of the fire manuals and the procedures, um, but that's only half of it. The other is actually experiencing um, firefighting. There's a, a tacit knowledge of, of, of how to force a door, how to climb an aerial ladder 100 feet in the air. Um, but to be a good firefighter, to be good at anything, is, is really having the competency and, and knowing uh, what to do. Um, as I became an officer, it was, it was more than just knowing what to do, it's being responsible for firefighters. And that point was made uh, actually after 9-11. I was uh, in command of a third alarm fire up in the Bronx. So we have about 100 firefighters at the scene, uh, about three dozen pieces of apparatus. And the fire goes out and I'm leaving. And I have this firefighter running down the block after me and says, Chief, Chief, Chief. And I stop, and he turns, and I turn around, and he says, Chief, I just want to let you know that I'll follow you down any hallway. Mm. Now, for firefighting, the, for firefighting, the most dangerous part is, is a hallway. It becomes like a, uh, like a chimney, and all the smoke and, and heat fills into the hallway. And I thought, wow, this is, this is a very nice compliment. And then when I got back to my car, I realized he was saying just more than I'll follow you. He was saying that, I'll, follow, I'll be with you, I'll follow you, and I want you to keep us safe. See, leadership is about um, not giving orders, but it's about sharing the, sharing the danger. And that firefighter was saying that, 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 that because of what I've done in the past, that he'll follow, he'll be with me uh, during the next uh, major event. Uh, an awesome responsibility. I could actually feel that pressure of, of the responsibility for others. And, uh, and um, he meant what he said. A formative moment. Very much so. Joe, let me ask about a set of documents that I know you helped prepare. Uh, 
a set of checklists of the New York Fire Department reference particular incidents, if you will. So you have a checklist if there's a, a radioactivity release. You have a checklist in case of a, a building collapse. You have a checklist that has the title, the Mayday Checklist. Talk, if you would, about why you develop these checklists and then how they're used in practice by members of the New York Fire Department. We use a checklist as shortcuts. Um, and for a radiological incident, there's a, we don't do that a lot of times, so we need a, a list to follow of what procedures. But as a shortcut, is it's, it's how do we deal with the stress of a situation? So during a fire, as the fire becomes more and more complex and, and, uh, and we have to make decisions, the stress level increases. One of the most um, difficult times as, as a, a commanding chief would be a mayday. A mayday is a message from the firefighter that the firefighter is in trouble, that the firefighter is um, trapped, doesn't know his or her way out of the building, that something's seriously wrong, a life and death situation. Immediately the stress level goes up and, and you have to deal with that and at the same time fight the fire. So we use a, a, a checklist and, and an acronym. Um, the, the word we use is lunar. What, what we want to know is the member's location, his or her unit, the assignment, um, and what resources do we have available, um, and, and the person's name. Um, that is critical, critical information so we can make sure that firefighter gets out of the building alive. Um, it, it, it helps to, to, to uh, know what to do right away, and, it, and it's very focused. Another thing we're, we're dealing with now is how do we use technology as a checklist. And instead of, of writing words where there's a checkbox, we look at, at visual cues. So for example, we're developing an electronic command board or, or what I like to call a command pad, very similar to the iPad. We're able to see where our units are deployed, uh, they're within a, a, a building uh, um, structure. And one of the important things for, for safety is to do searches of, of every floor that there's, there's fire, and even floors that there's not fire. Um, we're required to do that within 15 minutes. So as a checklist, we use visual cues. If the search is, in, is not completed, the, the primary search is not completed within 15 minutes, on that command pad, the floor will turn red. And instantly, that's a cue to the incident commander to check on the statuses of the searches. If we do a primary search, it turns yellow, and if we do another search afterwards, a secondary, it turns green. So we use the intuitive knowledge of a stoplight, red, yellow, green, to give the incident commander the same cues or a checklist, but now we're doing it in a visual format. Mm -hmm. You know, looking at the Mayday checklist there, it looked to me, my outside eye, that you've got a good number of items. They all look pretty mission critical and you probably want your officers to get through all of those. And one in particular that caught my attention, having gone actually through your training program with seven of my colleagues a few months ago, on the May Day Command, uh, we learned, I think it's part of the checklist uh, protocol, that when you say May Day, if you're a trapped firefighter, uh, you have to repeat that three times. So tell us, why is that important? 
it's important because we're dealing with wireless communications. We're dealing with radios. Um, and what we want, to, we want to make sure that message comes across. So if a firefighter's in trouble, the firefighter will go mayday, 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 and then give a message. It, it, it um, makes sure the message gets through, and it also tells the other firefighters to stop talking on the radio and listen. Um, so in just three words, there's a lot of communication being done. Speaking of May Day, uh, as fate would have it, on the morning of 9-11, you were down near the World Trade Center checking on a, a gas leak. <clears throat> it was a pretty routine day. Uh, you did look up uh, a few minutes before 9 o'clock, 8.46 a.m. to be very precise, and you saw the first flight hit the, uh, the North Tower. Uh, you were the ranking commander that close to the World Trade Center. You played a very important role. Uh, in bringing firefighters and emergency service people in there. And then you were the incident commander in the North Tower. Just take us from that 8.30 or so moment, the morning to 9-11, just talk us through the next couple hours, if you would. On the morning of 9-11, we were at a, a gas leak in the street, and it was pretty much a routine emergency for us. And then at 8.46 in the morning, we heard this loud roar of a plane. And you never hear um, a plane going overhead in Manhattan because of the height of the building. And um, we saw the plane actually aim and crash into the North Tower. And at that moment, we knew we were going to the, the biggest fires of, of our lives. Um, I got on the radio and I gave a message um, to transmit a second alarm for a plane into the building. And I told the people that I was with, the firefighters, to respond in with me. About a minute later, um, I, had it, I had just a little bit of time to think, and I gave another message, and very clear. I asked them to transmit a third alarm, more resources coming. And then I said to the dispatcher that the plane was aiming for the building. Um, I knew at that moment that this was not an accident, that this was a terrorist event. And then I, I uh, proceeded to give further orders where I wanted firefighters to stage and where I wanted them to, to go in. And I can remember stepping into the World Trade Center, um, into the lobby. Um, it looked like the plane actually hit the lobby. Um, there was debris all over the place, glass broken, people injured, some people were burnt. Um, and I went up to the fire safety director and I was told that the fire was somewhere above the, the 78th floor. So as firefighters came in, uh, they came in and I, um, I gave an order. And the order was to go up, to evacuate the people from the building, and to rescue those that couldn't get out by themselves. And I told them to go up to the 70, 70th floor. I figured at the time, eight floors was a good measure of safety. We would regroup and then try to get people out that were uh, above the fire. And then uh, um, as we were doing that, uh, a little bit before 9 o'clock, we gave the order to evacuate the South Tower. But a few minutes later, at 9.03 that morning, we heard another loud roar, and this was um, the second plane crashing into the South Tower. At that point, we, um, we uh, divided our command. There was one command in the North Tower, 
one in the South Tower, and our chief of department was across the street over, over all um, the person in charge. Um, firefighters came in, and they started to climb, and they started to encourage people to, to come down. Don't stop. Keep going down. Keep, keep moving down. Um, get out of the building. And then at, at 9.59 that morning, we heard, we heard the crashing sound. Um, and we moved oh, about, about 20 meters from where we were standing um, in the lobby to a, a passageway uh, that, that led across West Street. And um, that the, the lobby that was, um, was covered with dust and, with, uh, and went completely black. Um, now, for firefighters being in darkness, it's not a big deal. We operate in that all the time. Um, but at that moment, some of the other chiefs were saying we had to get out of the building. Something very important to do. We had to, we had to move out. If we couldn't command in the lobby, we had to leave. But I knew how to get out of the building. See, this was my building. Um, I, I was there hundreds of times. So that bought me some time to think. And that few seconds to think, I knew that if we couldn't command, that we need to get the firefighters also out. So I picked up my handy talkie radio, um, and I said, command to all units in Tower 1, evacuate the building. And the firefighters started to come down. But being many floors above, it took a long time to come down. What we didn't realize at the time was that we were running out of time. Um, and as firefighters came down, um, they didn't think of just themselves. One lieutenant I can remember stopping and around the, the ninth floor and directed other firefighters to another stair because the stair they were coming down would have led to the uh, the courtyard where the debris was. Um, another unit, ladder six, stopped and, and noticed a woman that couldn't, um, couldn't continue any longer. So they picked her up and started to carry her down. We made our way out in, into the street and standing in front of the, the, the World Trade Center, um, we couldn't tell what happened. It was covered with dust and debris, um, and we were never told that an entire 110-story building just collapsed to the ground. And then at 10.28 at, uh, that morning, we heard the, uh, the crashing and the roar of the North Tower collapsing, and we be began to run. But with bunker gear, you can't run that fast or that far. Um, so we crouched down behind a, behind a truck, and, and this beautiful summer morning that was full of, of sunshine turned completely black, where you couldn't see the hand in front of your face. And you could hear the, the steel crashing all around us, and we were just waiting for really um, to be crushed because we knew we were too close to the Trade Center. And then, 
the steel stopped. And it became silent. There was no more talk on the radio. There was just this eerie sound of total silence. It was like a, a new snowfall. You just heard nothing. It was just this muffled sound. When we got up and we walked back to the Trade Center or where the Trade Center was, we saw this rubble um, and couldn't believe that the buildings, the two towers just crashed to the ground. I heard um, on my radio, I heard a call from Ladder 6. Ladder 6 to command were trapped in the B stairs on the fourth floor. Well, I looked out on the pile and I knew the building well and I had no idea where the captain was. See, that was the captain carrying the woman down. And by slowing their descent, they were able to, to survive in a little pocket. Um, that captain got his unit out and, and the woman out alive. A miraculous story. Um, but other stories, that lieutenant from Engine 33 and, and 343 firefighters that day died. Um, in total, we lost uh, 2,750 people in New York. But amongst the rubble and amongst the, 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 uh, the, uh, the pain, we, we saw glimmers of hope. Um, see, terrorism tries to take away um, people's hope. But we, what we saw that day is people helping each other. What we saw in the days and the months to follow was the silhouette of a firefighter on, on the pile at ground zero, searching for, to, to, to make rescues initially and then to recover those that, are, that were lost. Um, it's, it's important that we, um, we don't focus just on the, on the sadness of, the de of that day because we did save 20,000 people. And 9-11 is, is something different. It's not just an event for New York City or just an event for the United States. It's an international event because no matter where you were in the world, you experienced it through the, through the media, a, a type of global trauma. But 9-11, 10 years after, it gives the international community a voice. That small roadside bombing, that, that uh, um, um, hotel bombing, um, it gives people a voice against terrorism. It's a united voice a world voice that terrorism is wrong. So as we look at, at, at the anniversaries, um, the 10th and other anniversaries, it's really an international event that gives all victims a terrorism a voice. And Joe, I know in the 10 years since 9-11, you have spent a lot of time thinking about that event, its implications for leadership, for getting through a crisis of that kind. You've worked with the 9-11 Commission. You've written about what happened and some of the lessons learned. Talk, if you would, about a, a couple of the leading, call them lessons, that you have now worked with uh, since the, the events of that terrible day. I think the 9-11 Commission captured it well um, by saying that there was a, a lack of information sharing. Certainly there was a lack of information sharing 
before the, the events of 9-11 with the, the, the intelligence community, but there was also a lack of information sharing among emergency responders, police and, and fire department. So I, th I think one of the, the, the important lessons learned is that during a catastrophic event, during a disaster, uh, we need to share information and there's a sense of, of uh, interdependency. We, we need to work together. Uh, one of the things that, um, that, that, that I wrote about is that during any major event, there'll always be organizational bias. So as the stress of an incident increases, groups turn into their own. Firefighters go to firefighters, police go to police, emergency medical form their own groups. But during a disaster, we need just the opposite. We need for those groups to collabor collaborate. Um, so as, as we look at other major disasters around the world, a, an earthquake, a, a tsunami, another terrorist event, it is really um, groups coming together and, and communicating and, and working with, with, with each other to deal with the, the disaster at hand. And I know you've spent a lot of time building that integration and ability to communicate since then. As you've taken on additional duties now as Chief of Counterterrorism for the City of New York, what keeps you up at night these days, 10 years after 9-11? With my, uh, my job, there's a lot of things that keep me up at night. Well, one of the things that I do worry about the most um, is a type of a, a, an attack that we saw occur a few years ago in Mumbai. Well, as a matter of fact, it's referred to a Mumbai-style attack where there's m multiple um, active shooters mo uh, in different locations using um, improvised explosive devices and using fire. It's those three weapons of, 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 of guns, explosives, and fire is the thing that keeps me up at night. Um, because in combination, they are the most deadly. Um, the World Trade Center was brought down not by the planes, it was brought down by fire. And we see that terrorists are, are starting to learn from their own activity. And, um, and it, it points to, to that we also must learn. So for us to battle a, a, um, a, an event that uses multiple means of, of weapons, multiple means of attack, we need to, to work with each other and, and to deal with a, an event like that. Um, but certainly it's something that worries us in New York. I'm in contact with uh, London and it worries them. Um, but I think by sharing information um, within the city of New York and with other cities, um, we'll be better prepared to deal with that type of event if it would occur. Joe, a final question here. You've been with the New York Fire Department for 30 years. You were at Ground Zero on 9-11. For the last decade, you've thought a lot about how to build out of that to prepare for whatever may happen in the future. Catastrophic events we all worry about. They've been sort of brought more to home as we watch what happened to BP in the Gulf, the Fukushima power plants in Japan, the disaster in Haiti with that earthquake. On the basis of your experience with the New York Fire Department, 9-11, and the decades since then, what advice would you have for people who are responsible in the private sector, public sector, maybe a nonprofit organization, 
for thinking about how to get through a catastrophic event? I think when we look at those events, we want to we, we want to think of just how to manage it, or um, the military refers to command and control. We want one person to to run the whole thing, and I, I think what we've learned since 9/11 and, and looking at those major events, that is not the leadership. Um, that that's not what leaders do. Leadership during a catastrophic event uh, does more than just m manage the event. They, they, do, they do three other things. They connect, collaborate, and coordinate. Connect. When an event occurs, the first thing that needs to be done is to hastily form networks at the scene of the incident among um, firefighters, rescuers, law enforcement, medical personnel, and, and for them to start to communicate and work together. Away from the incident, we have to connect to those emergency operation centers that we've created and have information passed from, for example, New York City to the state to the National Operations Center down in Washington, D.C. Once we've, we've formed these networks, the incident commanders, the people that are responsible for, for dealing with the event, need to get together and collaborate. So there's this flattening of command, not just one person, but now we have the major decision makers getting together and figuring out what to do. And what they do is, is coordinate. The resource that, 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 that we need to get a job done, we take that resource. But I think what we're seeing now is that it's not just one resource, it's multiple resources. So for example, during the Hurricane Katrina in New Orleans, we had the Coast Guard spot fires. The fire department, New Orleans Fire Department, with the assistance of the New York City Fire Department, went out and extinguished the fires. But they also went out with law enforcement for protection. So it was that combination uh, and coordination of, of resources. So when, when, when we look at, at leadership, whether it's in the in a uh, emergency response or in business or in, uh, in, in nonprofits, when there's the disaster, it's the combination of what we call uh, C5, command and control, connect, collaborate, and coordinate. Joe, thank you very much. Let me, on that note, uh, bring it to a close. Uh, let me thank you for 30 years of service to the city of New York. Let me thank you for uh, putting uh, your leadership and your life on the line on that uh, very fateful morning on 9-11. And thank you for your insights that have come with a decade of thinking now and reflecting on 9-11 and all the threats that we face so that the rest of us can be more prepared to face those calamities that maybe are out there one day and we need to be ready to do what we have to do if, heaven forbid, we do face another disaster. So Joe Pfeiffer, thank you very much. Thank you, Mike. For more business news and analysis from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Dot dot